0: All right, welcome to episode 84 of the Bobby Cast, and Busby's here, which uh, the first I heard from you is, yeah, I'm buddies with Keith Urban. Yeah. That was the first I'd ever heard of, like, you in the way of, like, wow, because when Keith Urban says something, I'm like, let me listen. Because, one, he's really kind. Yeah. But when Keith Urban talks musically, yeah. you're like, I should listen, because Keith Urban is probably the smartest guy I know musically.
1: He's deep, man.
0: So deep. Like, I've seen him take songs and just t- take it to... Like, I have friends who are going to cut songs, and Keith will, will go in the studio with them and yeah. go, way, way, way. and my friends think they're good, then they're like, oh yeah, I'm terrible. <laughs> like, I used to think I was good until Urban came in. So, that's the first I'd heard of you when you did uh, some tracks on Ripcord with yeah. with Keith. Yeah. But, and I was like, Busby, that's is that like Buzz,
1: Buzzby, like a B? <laughs> but
0: it's really your last name.
1: It is, yeah. It was brutal growing up with that name, but... Would they do the Buzzbee thing? Oh yeah, Buzzby Bugs Me, Buzz Butt, all that stuff.
0: But your name's Mike Busby. Yeah, exactly. So... Is that an artist thing where you like just call me Busby, or is no, that just I Mike? Have, is I had a bu-
1: buddy of mine suggest I just go by that professionally. And a lot of people would just call me Busby. You know, I'd introduce myself, "Hey, Mike Busby, nice to meet you," and everyone would just forget the Mike and just call me Busby. So I just kept going by Busby. Just evolved. And I have a lot to talk about with you because
0: <laughs> as I've been researching, I've become a bigger and bigger fan. I and mean, well, also thanks, I have friends that now that have worked with you, like mm. Maren, yeah. I took Carly out with me on tour, at stand up. Yeah. So I have a, you and I have a lot of uh, similar of friendships overlap. and, um, but as I started to look you up a bit and like go deep into it, and especially with the instruments and the jazz background, like mm-hmm. I want to get into all that. Sure. But I always like to start with something that just makes people go, oh, pfft. Yeah. and I want to play this demo because you wrote Holy. Yeah. And this is you singing. Wait,
1: unholy? Yeah. No, I didn't sing that one. This is you singing? No, I, yeah, that's Nate. I you don't know sing what? like
0: that. I was like, that, who's Nate, by the way? Uh,
1: Nate Seifert, who I wrote it with. Okay, so right but right
0: you right wrote right it. it. This is Nate singing. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that doesn't sound like you. When you started talking... No. Yeah, I
1: talk like this, but I sing
0: it sing like this. Okay, so you wrote Holy. <laughs> yeah. You're not singing the demo. Though. No, no. Okay, no. this is the demo of Holy. Yeah,
1: yeah. Holy. Holy.
0: said there have been about two songs this year that I think have been really screwed by country radio one of them was holy mm. and one of them was body like a back road mm. because they were so popular people wouldn't let them stay popular Right. and I thought Florida Georgia line and Sam both got screwed in the factory that is country radio and yeah. make number one get rid of it yeah and I thought this song should have been number one for on the radio chart for five six seven weeks it was that big of a song yeah
1: did you feel the same way? I mean, as a writer, you hoped something like that would happen. And, but you and write a felt, lot. Of, you
0: have a lot of hits. Did you feel different about this one? Like, yeah,
1: no. It felt it felt very impactful. And and um, it's interesting. The tricky thing is, um, it just went up really quick too because of the momentum of them and then how big it was. So it was very impactful, but it kind of like came and then went. You know what I mean? And I too mean, it's, too it, quickly. Yeah, it, ha- it has a life after that, like because of the type of song it is and the artist that they are, but. Yeah, I mean, I think it should have been four or five weeks at least. Don't you awesome. think
0: that it's killing the the culture of country music and the fact that songs come and go so fast that when we were kids, songs in general, because well, you use country as a the format, they would last for yeah. eight, nine weeks. Totally. And they became anthems. And we think of our life because of these songs. Like, we yeah. remember where we were. And now song number one is gone. It's yeah. gone.
1: No, absolutely. I mean, it it, it seems like the disconnect. I mean to be extreme about it. A buddy who was my mentor told me back in the day, the DJs would show up with their record collection, and that's what you'd play, right? And now, obviously, and you you you're one of the DJs who seems to play a lot of what you play. I remember driving, probably a, a year and a half ago, and hearing you play Marin early on, and going, "Oh my gosh!" You know, like before it was really catching, you were like really playing that. And thank you, man. You've been such a, a supporter of artists early on. But it's a machine, and I understand. I understand both sides of it. I understand how it sort of needs to be in this modern time. But it doesn't necessarily allow for the context of A, the DJ helping decide those things sometimes, and then more importantly, truly, is the fans, fan response. And if the fan's responding, let it go. You know, I agree so much.
0: It, to me, the weird thing is is that a song can be number one, and then the next day, everybody starts to go poof. Yeah. A song doesn't go from being awesome yeah. to sucking in 12 hours. No, it
1: just gets dropped off all of the playlists, and so it's gone.
0: And because of that, I think – Inevitably, it just – we're not in 10 years going to have – and again, we're never in 10 years going to have the same we've ever had. In the history of the world, 10 years is never the same.
1: Yeah, totally. It's
0: never the same. But I think these songs that just remind – like we had songs. Like I can remember hearing Indian Outlaw on the radio. I can remember hearing Smells Like Teen Spirit on the radio. I know – I feel myself and know where they were.
1: Yeah. I don't know that that's going to happen anymore. It's it's a similar thought if you want to go – all the way back to like there'll never be another Beatles in part for many reasons, but in part that we live in a different world. Like part of what made the Beatles, the Beatles besides the talent was it was, there was a mystery, you know, you couldn't just get on Instagram and go look at what Paul was doing this morning. You know, I could, I could be, I didn't, but I could be on your Instagram and what was Bobby doing today and see that and vice versa and whatever. There's no mystery. And even though you got, you and I are just meeting for the first time, some of it, feels like we already know each other because of the friendships but also social media and life and the overlap and the, and the modernity as it were back then there was just everything was like i heard i think that maybe and so when the beatles landed man it was like literally when they landed people were there in mass freaking out because they didn't know what was going on they didn't really know what they looked like in person they wanted to go see it and feel it you know so that kind of excitement's just you can't recreate it
0: i think options also create that yeah. listen there were three tv channels totally and you're on one of the three TV channels, yeah. you have, at worst, you know, 25% of the audience. Yep. Period. We have, we have 500 channels now. Totally. I mean, we're looking at, a, 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 just as an example, a, a TV network came to me and said, hey, I want you to do this show. like, hey, you should come to the show. And I was like, ah, the show doesn't feel right. I didn't want to do this particular TV show. And they were like, we don't understand. Like, you'll do this show, and you'll have 250,000 people watching. And I was like, guys, not to be a dick. But I have 3 million people yeah. that listen to my show live and another 3 million that listen on podcasts digitally every day. Totally. And back in the day, it was 10 times that. Totally. Like we're, we're all losing our – it's it, it's such a world of, fly, of, of like an interstate and cars driving yep. by. Yeah. And like do you like the right – buy a buy-right car. You totally. Had, you had to like it while it was there.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, man. The turnover rate for everything just seems a lot quicker and that's um, – you know, it's not just a business and marketing conversation as you know, it's also a creative conversation.
0: Do you think it's killing art? Do you think it's killing art or is it making it better? Because I do see arguing on both sides. I'm asking you, do you think I, it's-
1: I think it's, I'm not trying to cop out, I think it's a bit of both. Like it depends on you know, everything evolves, right? So art has to evolve and it has to be able to function in that new society. I mean it's like did the computer kill art? Music making? I I don't know. It depends if you're a tape machine purist. I love the sound of a great tape machine record but I also love the things that I can do in a computer and manipulate something.
0: Do you ever you know? see Jim Morrison talk about the computer? you ever see the, Mm-mm. it was probably 70s, you know, yeah. obviously before he died. Uh, and he was doing an interview and he was like, you know what the future, is? and it blew me away. He was like, you know what the future of music is? I think you're talking about it in the 70s. Yeah. And he's, by the way, for those listening, Jim Morrison leads into the doors. <laughs> very famous yeah. band. Uh, he died way way early. Yeah. Um,
1: and he was like, it's going to be, it's computers. Totally.
0: In the 70s, he was saying this. Yeah,
1: and he, he was probably more spot on than he could have ever imagined because, as you well know, there's a sector of music that is almost specific. Everything is the computer. You know, it's not like country music typically involves live, live instrumentation still, and it's becoming more prevalent again in pop. But with a lot of dance music, it's like everything is literally in the computer. And to me, that's not a better or worse, or it's just a different way of doing it. It's like, do you, can you still be creative within those confines, you know?
0: So where we would have songs predict what these 13-year-olds will have, what will they be able to look at in the art world and go, you know, this really remind their Snapchat story? Yeah.
1: I, well, that's the interesting thing about it, the, the, that train of thought, even though it's logical and I get it, it goes to the thing of where people literally thought we'd be flying and in cars right now, you know, when conceptually it's possible, we could go buy a $150,000 car that flies, right? But it's not the com- It's not commonplace. So even though technology is evolving really quickly, there's still th- what people want to accept as normal formats is moving way less quickly. So songs will exist. I think forever. They really will. What, what kind of songs, how, what length of time is acceptable? You know, will they, will they go shorter? Is it going to be two minutes? And they're lower? already going shorter. Yeah.
0: Are they telling you is it? Cause Again, I'm lucky enough to be in the high level yeah, I get to see research. I you know, I what happens is with music is we'll take it and I say we, I don't pay for it, but I get to see the results of it. Yeah. We'll take it and have thousands of people listen to these songs and yeah. rate them. Songs yeah. are on the radio, songs they haven't heard, and yeah. you get scores from M scores to I mean it's it's sometimes you over data yourself. Yeah. And I've seen some really great songs not be scored highly. Now in the opposite. But it, it it's data. And what we're seeing is that people get bored with anything over about 3 minutes and 20 seconds.
1: Totally. Yeah, I mean, it was pointed out to me that they're speeding things up, you know.
0: And not only yeah. are they shorting but they're speeding them up. Yeah. Meaning they'll take a song, and I'm totally doing industry secrets here, yeah. but they'll take it and speed it up 3%. Yeah. So the song even moves faster. And if you ever hear a song on the radio and you're like, and then you play it back, you know, on, on your computer, and you're like, yeah. but it, does, it seems a little slower. It's because radio plays them a little faster and they want them shorter.
1: Yeah. It's interesting, man. As, as a writer – I mean, I, I still write stuff that I feel, right? That, that hopefully goes without saying that is truly the case. But I'm also, I have a, um, a like business. I have an inclination towards it. And, and it's, they're, to me, those aren't necessarily at odds. And so I've had this understanding of the reality that in a business sense, as songwriters, we're, we're selling ads on a radio station. We are, the, with, and so is your morning show in the sense of like, they want to either hear you and then hear the ad and come back to hear you, or they're going to hear our song, and we're going to keep them on there so they can ultimately hear the ad. And I'm okay with that. It is what it is. I've chosen to be in the billboard business, not billboard magazine, but right. selling right. billboards, right. right? I did not choose to be in the, I'm not trying to paint the Mona Lisa and not, not degrading our art. I think you can make amazing art in that context, but it's just a different thing. It's like we're not, we're not just sitting in our bedrooms writing songs because we're writing exactly what we want to say, and maybe someone will listen to it once, we're trying to write, to write stuff that means something to us and, and makes us feel stuff, but that will reach the masses. And so that's the format that's, that we're allowed is to be able to put it on radio or to put it on Spotify. And we're basically either selling a subscription, subscription of Spotify or or keeping someone on a radio station so that they listen to the ad. And it's of course needed because you got to have the money to do the thing. And I'm okay with that. It's just a funny thing when you think about it, you know. You get kinda, angry as
0: a songwriter that right now it's kind of the wild west and you guys are not getting paid what you should be getting with streaming services Because Yeah,
1: it's tr- it's a very complex situation and very um, frustrating, truly, and I, I've been constantly trying to be engaged as much as I can, different, different ways, and I had an interesting conversation with someone the other day who um, represents a very well-known, established old-school producer in LA and they both had invested in Spotify and um, we were talking about some of that stuff and it was like You know, I don't fault Spotify specifically. Like if I was going to fault anybody more than anything, it's it's truly the legislation that we the the government putting the legislation on us as writers that we have. I mean, we're literally imagine going, hey, um, you know, can you come to a show in New York and you sign a new contract or whatever it is? And they go, you want to charge X amount of dollars, but the government says, no, you can only charge a quarter of that. That we're going to regulate that, right? Because we think DJs make too much, or it's a monopoly, or whatever it is. No, when you go do a show, if you're playing with your band or anything, you negotiate your rate or whatever that is. You know, it's like it's 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 fair market. I can't do that as a writer with two thirds of my income. One part of it I can. The sync when you get something placed on film and TV, we go we'll negotiate that rate. And and they've also through that process realized that half of it should be for the records, half of it should be for the song, right? So if someone gives you a $10,000 placement to have your song on some movie or something, half of it goes to the recorded side, half goes to the song. But when it comes to mechanical rates, when it comes to performance, all of that is dictated, it's very complexly so, but dictated by different legislations that effectively does not allow me to go, here, here's this water, I'm going to sell it to you for $100. And you go, I'm not paying $100, I'll pay 10 And I go, 20 You go, 15 Okay, cool. We can't do it. That's the main issue to me. And you know, some people want to get mad at Spotify. Some people want to get mad at Pandora. Whatever. I think. I think that's the future. And I think Spotify's and Pandora's and Apple's are actually in large trying to do the best they can for the most part. Um, But we aren't even allowed to come to the table and negotiate fairly for what we want to be represented by financially.
0: The weird part of it is too. Is again, I'm with you. I don't think the Spotify's, Apple's are doing anything wrong. They're not breaking any laws because there are no laws.
1: Well, the only laws are the they're, ones they're that keep old, us, in, you know, from negotiating. They go back to the forties. When I say no laws, yeah. there are
0: no current. There's there is no law reflective as to what's happening right now, with the back. I'll give you an example. Yeah. Um, who came in and um, she sang background? I, I love her as a writer. I can She she told me that she when when she Spotify she sings on, she sings backing tracks. She gets paid more than when she writes the songs. Oh yeah. Jesse, Jesse Alexander Jesse Alexander. Yeah. She was like, I get paid more for uh and she's had millions and millions of streams oh, yeah the client from Miley, I drive your truck from Lee Bryce. She's like, I get paid more to, to sing background vocals totally. than to stream. But the laws are antiquated I mean they're they're so old and when I say no laws, why what's beeping by the way? I don't know. Like are we, is, <laughs> is that about to blow up? Is <laughs> oh, it the chair? I'll I, try to sit still. No no so no sorry. no. There's like it. a beep. There's like a, a, a bomb or something about to go off in the house. yeah <laughs> uh, Let me. My point was, I thought Holy got screwed. Back to to the whole thing. I I, I really think that you know, in the song, and you know, in the story with the song, and you can set the record straight. Yeah, did someone because Bieber passed had it, and you thought he was going to cut it? But was there someone before Bieber?
1: No. Um. Almost simultaneously. Bieber was interested in it and we did a deal for the song like as producers because I co-produced that demo that effectively was going to be the master. And then there was another artist who I don't want to specify who it was. You probably wouldn't. It was a new artist. Who okay, so know. it's
0: not a thing that's out there.
1: No, not at all. And I'm only not specifying because I want to be cool to him. There's sure. nothing wrong but like, you know, he was an artist who um, was on a TV show and got signed by a prominent uh, record person um, and that person did a really aggressive deal to try to sway us from giving it to Beaver, which we still, we, we agreed to the terms that we said, but we're still not giving it to you until we know what's up with Beaver, because of course that would have been of the options we had. That was the best option, just business-wise. And Beaver wound up passing on it, so we cut it on that other artist. So And they paid us as producers, so it was already locked in. We couldn't just go and say, hey, we want our song back in, an, in a normal situation. And um, about a month before we had been told it was going to be released, my publisher, Sarah from BMG, hits me up and goes, hey, what's going on with that song, Holy? I think it's what FGL's looking for. And I, my head was like, what? Because like, I wrote it with Nate, who at the time hadn't written anything in Nashville, to my knowledge, pop writer. This guy, Will Larson, who's pop producer, like total in L.A., thinking f- for a pop pitch, that whole thing and the fact that they resonated like like they did. So I had to call Seth up, their manager and just be like, "Man, th- these are some of the business complications we're facing and I'm not sure what's going on with this artist, but I can't necessarily easily get the song, but I of course would love you guys to cut it." So we we discussed it and then we went back to the label and said, "Yo, you're not going to release this song. You're going to drop this artist, aren't you? Can we have the song back?" And they basically just gave us the song back. Is there almost said they- he got dropped. Not okay. because of that, but he was planning to get dropped.
0: Is it almost a thing where, and maybe it's not, where if you say, "Hey, we'd like to have this song back," do they kind of feel like, "Okay, yeah, you can have the song, but you owe us one"? Is that ever a thing, even if it's not stated?
1: Yeah, I would think so. Depending on the person, it's it's a little more complicated in this case because they paid us a lot of money as producers on that particular track because of how how badly they wanted the song. And it in 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 the pop world, it's a bit more wild west with all that stuff. You know, it's like how much you charge as a producer is whatever, whatever you can get, basically. And it can, it can be large numbers, and it depends on how much somebody wants a song and if someone else wants it. And so a bidding war for producing. Literally, really. yeah. And, and this particular label person who wrote the check for the second artist, he, um, he's known for liking to write checks. And like in, in if he really wants something, he'll put his money where his mouth is. It went even a step further, which this is just a, a, a little bit of a behind-the-scenes into that world. So we did something called um, a kill fee, Uh, It's not even an advance, but it was like if it's not released as the first single by such and such a date, you have to give us another check that was actually over double of what the producer fee was. And it just guaranteed that we would actually have the first single. Because if we were going to give it to this artist who was a new artist who had no track record, which we'd we'd love for him to have a hit with it because a hit would be a hit. But it was a bigger risk for us, so their commitment was demonstrated through that thing. So they had already paid us as producers and the kill fee was coming up in a few weeks and that's when I, I call seth and i explain the whole situation he's like dude we can't do a kill And i'm like yeah i know man i this I, I i know how nashville works and it's a totally different way how i work here um and and i was like well can you can can it be a single he's like i can't guarantee it but it probably will be we're gonna go five deep and you know it's a great song whatever hits me a month later he's like it's the first single here's the video And we're like whoa and the rest was history i mean it was literally like juju juju
0: is there a bit of you though when Beaver passes on it cuz that's a money making machine. Oh, crazy. Man. I mean crazy money making. Yeah. Where you're like,
1: "Oh." More than a bit. I mean, quite frankly, it's, you know, and for me it's, you know, I I have a family to feed and, you know, I've been very very fortunate to have hits and a career and all those things, but every one of our situations is that. It's like, you know, even if you get the Beaver cut, will it be a single you know, if it, of course, right now it will be a hit. But there was a time where it was like he's a big artist, but will it be a hit at radio? You know, or this new kid who would cut it. Like we have the single, but is he going to break through? And all of those things are just this emotional roller coaster because not only do you write the song with all this emotion and then send it out into the world, but when that starts stuff starts playing out, man, it's just like oh, because you, you at first it is oh Bieber wants it. I mean, it was it was Bieber wanted it so much, quote unquote meaning that was so legitimately happening that I remember being out there I was in Nashville at the time they're like can you fly back immediately we want to cut his vocal tomorrow I was supposed to go to Rick Rubin's house and cut the vocal with Rick on Bieber and then that literally last minute the night before didn't happen with no explanation other than he'll cut it in a couple weeks and whatever
0: oh and then when that starts to happen
1: you just honestly you never know because that could totally happen and then it could be that's the weirdest part about what we do it's like you can't you can't get too attached to all those things. I've had songs that literally I was told would not even be on the album, then made the album, and I was told, well, they won't be a single, and then they were a second single. Like My first hit was that. I you know? uh, two questions that come yeah. to this, and I
0: don't want to forget the one one. The first Rick Rubin, but I want to go to the uh, – you talk about album cuts. So uh, we'll talk to writers and say, hey, I, you know, I get an album cut. Yeah. They don't make much money. Maybe if they get an album cut, they'll pay some of their – Guarantee back. Yeah, you know? exactly. And in the pop world is it different? If you get album cut, is there more money in the pop world? Or does it basically It, it the depends same? who
1: it is. I mean it's it's all obviously based on sales and so a worldwide artist like Bieber that's that's the main difference is these artists can be worldwide. And so even if you quote unquote only sell a million records in the US, you can catch another one, two, three worldwide sometimes. And that's that's pretty pretty rad.
0: So it's basically you can sell worldwide as an album cut, what a single would sell in the country genre.
1: It would be hard to get that far because basically, it's a, it's for every song. It's a complex conversation because in a lot of pop cuts, there's very few pop cuts that are even three writers. So let's let's assume it's a pop cut that's two writers, just for to be conservative. Every song is worth about let's say 90, nine cents per album. So every million records is ninety thousand dollars for mechanicals, roughly, right? And then, of course, in that is your publisher and everybody. So the, most of that money goes back to to recoup your draw, which you said. So if you if you so if you have half of that, it's forty five, and then if you have four million, that's gonna be one hundred eighty thousand dollars, and then a country hit three way would be maybe three hundred or something about a million all told, right? So it's so mechanicals exactly, are tricky, man.
0: But it does pay more to get a cut, and it does make sense. I never thought about the worldwide.
1: Yes, yeah, the worldwide thing. That's the big difference between pop and country. Wow. Very little worldwide with. Um, with what country's doing right now, but that's changing, and I'm stoked about it.
0: Let me talk about Express Pros for a second. For just one corporate job, only four to six people will get interviewed for every 250 resumes. So again, think about that. They get 250 resumes, they're only picking like four to six to even talk to. That's not good odds. So if you're counting on getting a job when you're uploading your resume, you probably shouldn't, because again, not good odds. The fact is you need a real person talking to a real employer that has a real job. And that's where Express Employment Professionals come in. Express is your local resource to help you get a new job. So they have more than 18,000 jobs available weekly. That's 18,000 jobs that you need to get filled. That you can fill right now. They have jobs. Find the nearest office at expresspros.com. And Express never charges a job seeker to find employment. So your locally owned Express office can help connect you with available jobs in your community. ExpressPros.com. Uh, manufacturing jobs accounting jobs customer service information technology you name it visit the nearest express office today speak with hiring professionals that can connect you to a job in your community expresspros.com to find a location near you all right, I-, I mentioned Rick Rubin who will go down in history as one of the greatest of all time of every, yeah, totally. everything from, from you know uh, for me like the Beastie Boys like yep. that's my music totally like w- my license to ill yeah. when I discovered that it opened my eyes to Wow, you can look and sound and all this is certain, and you, none of it has to match anymore. Like that opened <laughs> yeah, my eyes to yeah. anybody can do anything yeah. musically. Yeah. Um, have you spent time with Rick Rubin? Do you know Rick Rubin? You talk about going to his house. No, have you ever met Rick Rubin?
1: I have not. Um, I was excited about that. That's you when you know, said that. Sure. I was like, yeah. "Holy crap!" Just yeah.
0: I mean, even I mean, he's done from. Oh, you know Rick. I mean, Rick. Rubin. Yeah. He's getting skinny.
1: He has, well, absolutely. And he's that, a vegan now, right? Well, he, the funny part, well, not funny part, the interesting part was when he was heavy, he was a, still a vegan, but he actually is gave that up and I think he probably still eats a lot of veggies, but introduced meat into his diet. So he got skinnier with meat? Well, I don't know what the correlation is. That's not is, how it works for me. When I start yeah. eating a bunch of meat,
0: I don't get skinnier. Yeah.
1: Well, he, I mean, it, the other interesting thing about him, as you know, is also, not only a wildly successful record producer, but like, the label side, you know, it was like, I mean, come on. You know, Def Jam? Really?
0: And yeah, then American? He's one of the guys that if, he, if you're listening to this and you just Wikipedia Rick Rubin and you look at him. Uh, by the way, someone you look at and you go, oh, for sure this dude's death metal. Yeah. But then you look at everything that he's been able to do in all formats and all genres. Yeah. Uh, I would recommend people listen to this to, just to Wikipedia Rick Rubin and look at what he's done in the, his catalog. There's an
1: interesting aside to me, which is that um, – some, some people who want to be critical will talk about how like he's not always in the studio or he's not like a hands-on producer or whatever. And to me, there's just different ways of making records and different ways of making music. But what he is that is such an important thing, in my opinion, and something that we should all strive to be is he's a fan of music. Like he's, from what I understand, he's a basically a professional fan of music because he's not a self-proclaimed musician. He's not a recording engineer. None of that sort of technical stuff or whatever. He's somebody who listens to music and knows how to communicate to artists based upon what his ta- he's a curator basically and like a professional fan but he's turned that into a career as a record guy and as a producer it's incredible it's inspiring in that regard
0: I want to play I, there's a lot here I don't know where to start but why don't we do this one I'm talking about Keith a minute ago you let fall? I won't let you fall. so here's the fighter yeah. Keith and Carrie yeah. Yeah. yeah talk about this one for a second
1: it was uh we wrote this in London actually because Keith was living over there for a little bit. Um, I think Nicole was on a sh- uh, play, and so the family was over there. And he was like, "Hey, you want to come over to London and write?" And, and I was like, "Heck yeah!" So we go. and... Does he
0: pay for all your trip if he says, "Do you want to uh, come over and write?" Yeah, he yeah he did.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was one of those things where I would I would have done it either way. But like, he's just like he's the best man. He just um, he's such a thoughtful and gracious person, you know. But yeah, we went over there and. Um, we hold up at this, this studio, Martin Terefe's studio. It's this gorgeous, It's like on the fourth floor of this kind of like old school English industrial complex from probably 150 years ago. And it's this massive A-frame and these huge windows. It's not even really soundproof. You can hear cars riding by and stuff. And the second day he comes in, he'd been working out in the morning, he comes in and he goes, I have this idea for a duet. And he and he starts singing and he's showing me the couple parts and within like, 10 minutes, we're like, I've learned the parts, we've talked about it, and we're kind of like sort of singing it to each other. I was singing Carrie's part, you know, and it was like, oh, wow, this feels great. And then we just started building a track, and it wasn't really talked about, but I think our mutual, um, fascination with the New Radicals really influenced that, you know, the way that sounds and kind of. The New Radicals meaning from. the band, the New yeah, Radicals. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and it just, that song happened in just a few hours, literally. And then we did a little bit of stuff after the fact. And then, um, once he locked in on having Carrie do it, it was like, well, how, where, where are we going to get the vocal done? How's that going to happen? And, and she had a day off. She was on tour. She had a day off in St. Louis. So I flew out there with my engineer. And he was actually, Keith was actually cutting a video to a Wasted Time in L.A. at the time. So he FaceTimed in. And it was like this whole technology being our friend again, you know. And she just nailed it. I mean, she sang it in like 30 minutes, you know. It was The whole thing was pretty effortless, which not every song is like that. and doesn't mean it's better or worse. Or it's just I feel like those are the gifts when the when it's not only seemingly a quality song, but one that people are responding to, and then the process wasn't a huge rigmarole, but then most days it's a big rigmarole. A
0: guy like Keith, who uh, is so advanced musically, but a guy like you, who yeah, I assume you started playing the piano as a young young kid. Yeah. You, uh, you went to school on a jazz scholarship. Yeah. Uh, one of the. Trumpet or trombone? Trombone. Trombone. Yeah. Were you like declared greatest in the world at
1: trombone? <laughs> I don't know about that. There, there is an award, a college age jazz trombone award. Which that sentence alone is, a, it's a pretty small demographic. No, but no it's offense. still again
0: data is still yeah, data. It
1: is true data, but it, it by definition of what it is, it, it basically is like it's available to all college age jazz trombone players in the world. And you apply and you audition, and I won that award. It's the Frank Rosalino Memorial Scholarship, which. Your point, is the I guess, greatest
0: trombone player in the world of
1: that age? I guess. Yeah. Uh, well,
0: I, there's dot dot yeah. dot, but I was, I was well.
1: The the only reason I actually feel comfortable talking about that in any with any candor is because it's not really what I'm doing anymore. But it's also just to demonstrate like how serious I was about it. This wasn't like I kind of played trombone in high school, like all the way up until I was about 21, tw- maybe 22. All I listened to was jazz. Like I wasn't everything else was peripheral. Like my sister was listening to hair metal. My dad was listening to some like some old country and black gospel and oldies. And my mom was listening to like hot AC version of country or of Christian music, like Evie. Have you heard this or like this very, um, I forgot some of the other names, but like super hot AC, just like vocalist, but Christian music. So it's like this, you know, on one hand you have like poison and, and guns and roses and Def leopard and all this stuff. And then you have like Hank and Willie and rock around the clock and, black gospel music and then my mom listening to like Michael W. Smith not even that progressive oh wow really? yeah like, like even back a bit yeah and, and, and more hot AC more sort of church mom kind of vibe you know
0: so you had all these influences and you were playing jazz were they were they musical
1: my parents loved music but n- no okay, but they weren't they didn't sit yeah. down
0: and t- And so uh, you were not in the band in high school did you yeah, play the band I was in yeah they made
1: us the parents made us take piano lessons from second grade through eighth grade, so that six-year window, we all, we all had to take them, no choice. And it wasn't – it was it was almost just like understood. It wasn't like the stories where you hear your parents like forcing you, but we didn't have a choice, so we just did it.
0: Were you really good? Like, were you, Meaning there are things that I know I'm, I'm, like, I'm pretty good at. Yeah. And I can't always get better, but yeah, I'm pretty witty. I know yeah. that. And, yeah. and I can train myself to be a better comic, but I know that I feel comfortable. Totally. And I feel I I see there's something there. Did yeah. you feel that way about the piano when you were young? Like, wow, I'm actually special at this.
1: It it became evident over time because you know so much of that is your context, right? Like, you know you're witty because we respond to that, right? You you aren't going to be witty in a vacuum, like. And I'm not going to like know that I can play piano well in a vacuum, like. Once I realized, I would go to some of these recitals, and it was like, oh, I was placing in or the higher part of it, or every teacher I had was like, whoa, what's going on? That kind of vibe. It just that made it more evident and you know and then it became sort of through it was interesting we joined we were we joined band in fourth grade and I played baritone horn which is akin to a trombone for a couple of years and then I got bored and switched to tuba and then played barry sax and like just kept doing all these different instruments and to me it felt like just normal it wasn't like this weird thing but as I look back it was like a kid that age just going okay. I know how to play too, but now I'm tired of this. Let me play Barry. And the fact that my band director was cool about that, and not only cool about it, but helped foster that love for music really early on. You know, what was my the goal to, as a kid? Like,
0: what did you think you wanted to do? Play I, jazz? I
1: just want to make music. I didn't even know specifically. I learned jazz in in high school. That came across my radar, and I was just like, oh wow, I just got the bug, and started. I, I had a um, couple friends in high school. We just totally hit it off, and we had a little jazz trio. We just play, and our and our high school band director was amazing, Mr. Ernest. Mr. Vigas was the middle school one and Mr. Ernest was the high school one and he really helped foster love for jazz. He's a great trumpet player. And I was able to take jazz courses in the evenings at the community college near my house where I grew up, which also, quote-unquote, happened to have a world-class tenor saxophonist from New York who became an educator and moved to to the Bay Area and then taught in part at this community college. So it was like all this crazy, like... Should
0: read Outliers, obviously? Have you read Outliers? Yeah,
1: totally. Well, they talk
0: about how... Uh, Bill Gates, yeah, just happened to be in the right. Uh, a brilliant yeah. guy, totally. But happened to have a computer.
1: Tons of them, yeah, in, in his town. Yeah, well, and also the, the the demographic of parents that he happened to be born to were upper middle class, which means he had the resources to be able to access the computer at the college. And in my own way, it's all that stuff. Like, and especially because there's so many different chapters of it that musically, and all of these people I quote unquote happened to run into. Like when I first moved to town, or I first started coming to town, excuse me. Um, I met through a friend of mine, Greg Becker. I met Daryl Franklin, who was Dan Huff's business partner at the time and, and still really good friends with both of them. And that's the world I fell into, quote-unquote fell into, or was introduced to, was those guys. Those are my first publishers. Dan Huff, Daryl Franklin. Like, it was just like, how does that happen? Well, because my buddy who I met through my other buddy who I met through my other buddy introduced me to a couple people and one of them was Daryl. Like, it's just, it, it, when you look back on your life, when I look back on my life, let me say that, it's insane to look at those key moments, which there, there there've been hundreds of them at different little moments that have really affected where I am and who I am. Super grateful for it, man. And I feel like some of his divine intervention, you know, I can't explain the why's of it, but similarly to like, how, how was I born with a unique ability? Like I'm, I'm like pretty okay at most things. And then in music, it just goes the spike. And then it's like, okay, I'm back to being, and then how did that work? I didn't choose that. I mean, I've, 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 I've worked hard to develop it but I know a lot of people who work hard and don't have a unique gifting in a specific area and don't get to do it, you know?
0: When you come to town and Dan Huff, by the way, I spent time with him a couple weekends ago and there were a lot of us there and Dan, I was like, Dan, listen, I know there are a lot of artists here but you're the only guy I want to take a picture with because <laughs> <laughs> Dan Huff, I mean, just his guitar. Oh,
1: yeah. He's a, he's a guitar hero, literally. Hero? yeah. I love I love talking. I'm not a guitar player, um, so. But do
0: you play guitar? You say you're not a guitar player. No, is, I, I mean is, I
1: can play acoustic. But is I'm, it
0: like somebody go? I'm not a golfer, but then they go out and they. No, I promise like six, you. Okay. Yeah,
1: no, no. This straight up, like I, I know ish how to play guitar, and I can play some my songs on acoustic, but I'm not a guitar player, which I'm, for many reasons I'm, I'm grateful for. It. I wish I was at times, but when I hang with Dan, it's like, I just got to hang, and I don't have to guitar nerd out. But I love talking to guitar players about him because they just like start shaking. And I know how amazing he is because I'm a musician and he's like insane.
0: I asked him, we were sitting beside each other and we were shooting a thing and I said, hey, we're talking about Thomas' record and because Dan produced some of the tracks on it. I was like, really though, Dan? Like, how many times are you in there when you're producing and there's a studio and listen, to be a studio player in Nashville, you have to be phenomenal. Yeah. And you just want to go, let me do it. Yeah. Like, And he was like, you know, sometimes I would go home and I will be by myself. And I would think, I would be like, I, I'm just going to do it. Yeah. Okay. With you musically, do you face the same struggle sometimes where the, you're like, man, I can really nail this? I can nail this keys part. I know no,
1: it. Well, it's funny because I, I probably am strongest on piano. Like, I, I play bass on a lot of the records I produce, um, but I'm definitely strongest on piano. That's an instrument I, I would actually potentially have played professionally. But I'm, I'm happy to not play. And I actually really enjoy, as a producer, sort of utilizing different colors. Because I play the piano like I play the piano. And I know what that is. I know what it sounds like. I know what I'm going to do because I do it. And it's and it's not always the same, but there's the similar colors that I go for. If I hire somebody else, like this week, I'm tomorrow I'm cutting some tracks and Ian Fitchuk is playing keys. And he's a brilliant multi-instrumentalist. Um, he's He plays piano in a way that's different to the way I play piano. And he plays B3. To, in certain ways, he kills me on B3. Like he just crushes me. Certain things I do, I'd rather have me do it. But more more important than all of that, I like the variation. So it's amazing to be able to go, give me your version of blue. Give me this other color that you do that I've never heard of. And then how can I use that to help paint? I mean, it sounds loosey-goosey, but that's the way I think about it. How about, I got a whole catalog okay.
0: here and once I started going I, you know what I want to switch it up a little bit you know what song I love is this one right here this new Pink up. song Try yeah. I love this song
1: yeah
0: I like Pink a lot yeah. back when I was working pop cause you know I, yeah, I spent a lot I spent a lot of time doing pop yeah uh, Pink was always really cool with me cause she was like human
1: oh dude she's really cool
0: like in, in the land of the non-human which is the yeah. pop world yeah yeah she was always really human.
1: You know the thing that – I won't pretend to know her super well. I've, I've written with her four or five times. Um, the thing that strikes me about her is that she's, she's an eminent professional. In a, in a world that is um, – it's not like our world is unprofessional. But it's so um, – it just permeates all, of, all aspects of so many people's lives. She is a professional in the sense of like sh- when it's time to get on the road – She prepares herself mentally, physically for all that stuff, and you know if you've seen her show, she does all this like flies around. Yeah, it's insane. So she gets like she gets back to her weight training and all those things because she needs all those muscles for all of that. That that throughout normal day life, you don't need it. And then and and you know mentally and whatever, and she goes and does that thing. And then you know I think her family's still around and they travel with her. But when when she's not doing that. She's chilling, man. She's at home doing what she wants to be doing. Apparently, I'm I'm making some assumptions here, but it's like this this balance that is really inspiring. You know, when we wrote, she wanted to ride in Venice because I think they have a house there, and she wanted to um, be able to ride her bike to the studio. So it was like, this is the best. You know, she literally would like ride her bike down the, the main street of Venice, LA down the sidewalk or whatever not in a spectacle kind of way just her path where she was going and she would show up at the studio and it was super low-key there was no bodyguards there was no it was just her
0: and so was that like uh two two two-way you think
1: yeah everything we've written has been a two-way
0: do you feel special about that one when you wrote it
1: um that one i did that actually i wrote with my buddy ben west that was a that
0: So you so you've written with Pink a bunch of times but you didn't write that one with Pink.
1: No, that one that one actually has an interesting story because she doesn't really take outside songs, you know. She's a brilliant songwriter and a huge hit songwriter. Um, but I'd written that song with my buddy Ben who I was literally just with before I came here. He's staying at my place here. He's a great writer, producer, lives in Detroit, comes to Nashville a lot as well. Um and we just wrote it literally outside of Detroit for like We had a band we were doing for film and TV projects. We just made a band name and started writing songs, and we're going to pitch them for film and TV placements. And uh, that was a song that I literally woke up with the chorus in my head, and then Ben and I got together and like fleshed the whole thing out. And we didn't know what it would be. We weren't weren't thinking, like, this is going to be a top 40 hit. We were just thinking, like, this song feels amazing to us. Turning it into my publisher, I'd be getting all these emails, like, you know, Everybody's playing it in the Berlin office. I'm, my buddy Thomas would be like, "I'm walking down the office." Three months later, he'd hear it coming out of multiple offices. It was like, "What a trip!" So my publisher then sent it to our friend Rainey at RCA, and we'd cut that one again on another artist. It wasn't the right fit. Come after the fact, I've had a couple other artists tell me, "Oh, I wanted that song, but they wouldn't," you know. And then she, when I called Rainey to tell her, "Hey, this first artist we're cutting it on, super talented, but it's not the right fit," I'd kind of need to take the song back. She was like, "Well, can I keep it and play it for Pink?" I was like, yes, please. And then we got word that she loved it, that she was cutting it, and then eventually it was going to be her second single. And all all the stuff that they told us was going to happen actually happened, which I really respect about her team. They're very like, this is what it is.
0: Did it help that you had a relationship with her a bit? Because again, I assume she wrote it with you because she doesn't take a lot out of that song. No,
1: I didn't know her at the time. So
0: this is before you guys. Yeah. Did, did that then make the bridge to know her and to start writing? Oh, totally, that yeah. That was,
1: that was the bridge? Totally. So like uh, you know, a couple of years later... Um, She had been taking time off or whatever. And I was like, man, I wonder if she's writing again. So I literally just hit her. We hit her up and we're like, hey, we have this other song. There's another song in my catalog that I feel is special in a similar way to this song. And she immediately responded to it and put it on hold. And we're like, I was like, oh, man, here we go again. This is going to be amazing. Unfortunately, that song then came off hold like a year later. I would have kept it for her for years because I think she's the right artist for it. But as a result of that, I got a call three weeks later. Hey, can you go write with her for a film? And so we, and I went out to Malibu where she wanted to write and it was for this song, this movie Suffragettes. It's an incredible movie. It's about the women's movement in England in the early turn of the century. And I sat there, this is the only time I've done something like this. I sat there at her request and watched the film start to finish. She showed up about halfway through cause she'd already seen it and, you know, big hug. And then we pushed, push play on the film. We finished watching it and at the end, we're both literally crying. It's like this emotional film. And then I, I as she went to the restroom, I took out my phone and like pulled up the, the um, GarageBand app to see what key the end of the score was in because we were going for the end title and I wanted to write in the same key fortunately it was in the key of C which is like the best piano key it's so easy to play in so I just sit down on the piano and I start like playing chords and just trying to create emotions that reflected what the film made me feel and she had dude she's like again professional she had pages of verses She was reading me all these lyrical verses. They was like poetry, but they were actual verses. And it was verse after verse. I was just going, oh my God, these are amazing. But then as a writer, I'm thinking, I don't know what the hook's going to be. I'm waiting for the hook. Where's the hook? And just in passing, she she was reading. She's like, and wild hearts can't be broken. and And I was like, that's our hook. So we wrote this song, and then we just started playing the chorus and put it all together. And it's actually on her current album that comes out shortly. That's a cool story, dude. She is I like it that you watch the credits and try
0: to figure out what key it is so it can fit.
1: <laughs> well, I want it to be cohesive because I want it just seamless. I want it to go from the score right into her amazing voice and that mo- that movie's not out yet, right, or is it that actually that movie came and went sadly it was it should have been a bigger hit than it was. It's amazing Carrie mulligan uh Meryl Streep, oh Meryl Streep is in
0: a movie, and it came and went that's why well, do I don't mean came
1: and went it It did its thing, but it wasn't as big as it really should have been. It's incredible, man. what's it called? Suffragette. Let me play this one right here.
0: This is another one of those where I think Thomas had it first. Yep. It's funny to tell, because
1: I Like I love this song. Love you love know, how do you find out stuff like that?
0: Because I have a lot of friends.
1: <laughs> I know, but you I just have a like, lot of you song- listen- I
0: write songs. You know, I goof around and write songs with people. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we do stuff. It's funny, yeah. And so they're always like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then That's also, dope. songwriters come in here and just spill their guts. And yeah, like, totally. Totally. You know, but
1: they forget it's being broadcast to millions of people. It's almost though like <laughs> you're so disarming. That's the that
0: damn it, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> for me, I think if you make it a thing, it's a thing, and yeah. if you're open and honest about it, there's no stigma. No, it it really it wasn't anymore. a thing.
1: And 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 for me, as a writer and professionally, you know, the things that it's always funny when people make you sign NDAs, like which hasn't happened that often, but it's like. By nature of the fact that I want to work in this industry, I'm not going to talk smack about somebody in a public capacity ever. Like, why would you do that, right? It just doesn't make any sense. But anyways, with to the point with that song, it was on hold with TR. And um, I had gotten word that Charles really dug and This was before he had called and they had asked me to work on their album. I got word that he dug it and he wanted to get the demo track to put his voice on just to see how that worked. And I don't think that ever happened, but I knew he was into it. And then when they asked me to come work with him, I kind of thought, let me put this in the back pocket because he asked. Like, let's, he was like, "Let's do maybe six songs and just see how what evolves." And I, I wanted to be very respectful of their creative process and not come in and just go, "Yeah, I know you guys want to write a lot of this, but here's a song you should cut. Just see what happens." And and the first half, you know, that first six, what turned into be eight songs, just went really well. I've known them for years. It was just this big family vibe, basically, in a great way. Did
0: you go down to the house in Florida?
1: No, just after that is when I got the call. Um, but I, I had asked them to come to LA if they wanted to, and they, they were willing, and so they came out and they stayed at a place in um, Hollywood Hills, and we worked at a, a buddy's home studio. It's this, like multi-million dollar, gorgeous studio in Toluca Lake, a beautiful home. He's got this like feral cat in a cage, and like <laughs> like this beautiful swimming pool. It was it was a great vibe. But so we did we did the first half, and then come to the second half of the album, and I just was like, you know what, I'm gonna play this for him. I think they need to hear this song. I think it'd be a good for, fit for what's going on. And in the meantime, I had been in communication with Virginia, seeing what TR was in. Who's Thomas's manager. Yeah, Thomas's manager. She's awesome. And ultimately, it was like, you know what? He loves it, but it's just not right for what he's wanting to do or whatever. So I was like, no problem. And then, soon, and then wound up playing it for for them. And they were like, this is it. This is our first single. I mean, Charles, as you know, is so energetic and so in the moment. Something I really admire and, um, appreciate about him and in the context of them they all have their superpowers one of his is that like I'm going to tell you what I'm thinking it's going to be real it's going to be energetic it's going to be right now and immediately he was like this is going to be our first single and I was like that would be awesome and sure enough it was
0: <laughs> so I mean when the record gets nominated for record of the year Ugh. I mean that's a that's a thing
1: yeah that felt really it's gratifying man I, I was talking to my publisher today I'm, I'm grateful for rec- recognition of our art you know I don't, I don't live for awards. They actually all... I put them all in my closet besides the ones I've given to a few family members. I'm grateful for them. I'm not trying to diminish them, but I, I just put them there because it's, it's kind of a reminder of what happened and I'm looking for what's going to happen next, you know? And I don't want to ever, like, rest on any accolades or any of those types of things. But those types of awards where it's like of all the albums that happened, we're going to nominate this as one of them. And especially for them in that process, they were... They were taking a chance in a lot of things that they were doing, and wanting to turn a page and and uncover some new earth and and when that's recognized in a way that feels impactful, it's like okay, we weren't out of our minds, you know. Well, listen, they took a chance at just sonically. They
0: lack like horns, a lot yeah. of horns. Yeah. that's a chance. Yeah, on totally. Country radio. Yeah, that's a chance. But it's
1: funny, man. The other side of that story, you know. I didn't even put horns on that song because I'm a trombone player. Like, I don't walk around thinking that I'm a horn player. Like, I haven't been – got to understand, man. I am i haven't been a, a trombone player in any professional or – I mean, I haven't literally proactively played the trombone for probably 18 years or something like that. Like, I literally just set it down. It's like being a, a, a track star. You have to work at it every day, or, or you, and it's that frustrating. If you don't work out, you're not going to run fast. So, it's like
0: being a golfer. If you don't practice all totally. the time, you can lose your swing. You lose
1: it. So – I didn't put horns on there because I'm a trauma player. I put horns on there because I was like, this would be rad to have horns. And we wrote it with Ryan Hurd and Hillary, thinking it would be for Ryan at the time. And Ryan had played a show. Um, Derek Wells does these nights over, I think it's the Basement East, where they're themed nights. And this was the 90s night. And, and, and I don't want to specify what song it was, just in case there's any weird connections. But he had played a song, and with the band, it had a certain feel had really nothing to do with the original version but it just felt like oh my gosh and we felt inspired by that and I was like we should have a song that feels like that for you you know and so um, we wrote it with Hillary and, and then ultimately for whatever reason it wasn't right for Ryan and then you're like oh but then it, everything lands where it's supposed to land man it's hard to, it's hard to believe that when things aren't connecting but it's always true
0: you yeah, know this one here
1: I'm gonna wish I had a storm warning oh, go back man. a little bit yeah 100 storm warning yeah
0: I mean, you wrote this one. Yeah. But it, this is, how early in the Nashville process was this for you?
1: Uh, it was early ish, maybe well, four or five years, maybe something like
0: that. Okay, see, so you've been here a bit. Dude, I've been
1: coming to Nashville for 11 years. Like, when I say coming to Nashville, I mean a week a month for 11 years. That's a grind. Like just Total travel, grind. regardless of the work. Yeah. Like that's a
0: week. That's a. That's a grind. Well, my
1: publisher gave me a private jet, so it's been easy. no. <laughs> could you imagine?
0: <laughs> no, I could imagine. That'd it's, be amazing. It's
1: Southwest, man. Every, literally every month. But oh, you're a
0: list, right? At this point, like uh, me, I'm made, a list. I, I'm yeah. a list with a companion. Exactly. So, dude, I'm flying with a buddy too. So, for it's free. the best is the best. So you talk about storm Morning for a second. Yeah,
1: Hunter. Hunter was. Um, you know, this is his first album, so there wasn't—I mean, first album in Nashville proper and he, he, on a label and all that stuff. But you know, and it was—I was given the prep of like, yeah, he's like this—he he was a boy wonder, you know, Zydeco multi-instrumentalist, whatever. And he comes in and he's just like this super energetic, really nice dude who's obviously multifacetedly talented. And we just that idea came up, and it was with Gordy and Hunter. I remember we wrote in that shack where Gordy's written a lot of great songs over the years, and uh, it just came out. It was just one of those, you know, you never know, man. Not never, but like, I wrote Try in my buddy's buddy's studio an hour and a half outside of Detroit thinking it was this and it becomes this and like, you just try to show up and write the best song you can and hope it lands. How about this one? Can I get a hallelujah? I I mean, I see
0: your face when I play it, like, there's an emotion where it's almost like, I read this book called I'm okay, you're okay. Yeah. And I'll go a little cycle battle on you for a second because I enjoy cycle battle. That's great. But it, they talk about when you hear a song, your brain reacts even for a split second. Yeah. and puts you back to the place that you were whenever you heard it for the first time. Yeah. You created it, whatever it is. Like, for a, just a split second, yeah. you feel that again. Yeah. And I watched your face and your head turn when you heard it again. Yeah. Even though you've heard it 10,000 times.
1: Yeah. Tell that, me about this that one. That song never gets old to me. Like, it's just... Um, it's special for a lot of reasons. Like, M- M- Marin was the first artist. I do artist development as a profession, right? I sign people to me. Carly's part of that process. Marin was prior to that in this in a professional sense, but being there so early on it emotionally had a lot of that same connection, you know. And seeing her in those early days, I remember. I mean, I've told people when I first heard Marin sing, it was at Lucy Silvis's house. It's a long story, but let me tell you the quick version. My friend Nadine, who is day-to-day with Shakira, is like a manager, came to town, and I wanted her to experience Nashville at its fullest. She's a wonderful person. I wanted to pull out all the stops for her. So I was like, you got to go see a writer's round. But none of the rounds that I saw for that week were people I had known or things or whatever. So I was like, we'll just put one together, which I don't even know why I thought to do that. It just seemed to make sense. So I hit up Lucy, John Green, Barry Dean, all of whom are very soulful singers, great songwriters. And we decided to do Lucy's house, Lucy and John's in East Nashville. It's tall ceilings like this with brick walls, very reverberant old house. And she and I were talking a little bit about it. And Lucy and she goes, you should invite that girl, Maren. You know, you wrote with her a couple of weeks ago. She's great. You should hear her. You know, I was like, OK, great. So I, I called Maren and was like, hey, I know we only wrote once, but you want to come do this thing and. And the five of us, with my friend Nadine and her friend, John's manager, and my wife, nine of us were in the house just doing a round. And it felt like we we're at either Bluebird or anywhere. I mean, it was that awesome for all of us there. We were such fans of each other. But when I heard Marin sing her songs with her lyrics, it was, I mean, I wasn't there when Cheryl Crow was discovered. I wasn't there when Adele was discovered, but it felt like that urgency and that importance. Like straight up. I remember telling my wife, I called Derek Wells the next day, it was like, dude, I've never heard anything like that. I've never heard somebody sing like this. I've never heard somebody communicate. Like, I have to be a part of this. You know, I don't know. And then I called her up. I'm like, what? What's going on? Are you doing the artist thing? Like, and can I produce? I'll do anything. Like, I'll, I'll pay for the players. I don't care. Like, whatever. I, if, if money's an issue, let me help. Like, I just want to be involved. And she's like, well, let's write and see what happens. And we did. And that evolved. And long story short, it turned out that I produced a project. Most of the projects, some of it we co-produced with Brad Hill, who's amazing. And she co-produced it and it, it, it's so much of our hearts are put into it because it was like, you know, when you there was no clear pathway to know what it was going to be. It took, you know, she didn't have a label deal at the time, you know, she got signed to the deal it Took people like you playing that song, like all that stuff happened to then make it the hit commercially that it was. But I'm still connected back to the beginning of it, and it all came together. You know what I'm saying? I do. And like I wonder
0: the emotion. Like well, when I played it again, I saw emotion for a split second. Well, what's the give me Give me the word.
1: Gratitude. Truly, man, that that song helped solidify some stuff for me. You know, it's it. I came up as a record producer and a songwriter, and I I'm not I don't own either one of those things. I don't. It's not like they're mine to own. And I made a conscious decision to focus on writing because I like the lifestyle better. I like – if I had to choose one of the two, I would choose songwriting. And I decided if I would ever be able to produce again, then it would flow out of the songs. And that was the first song that I had produced that had a huge impact, truly. I mean that that was the first hit I had as a producer. But even as a song, like being there when she walked in the studio that day, it was at my place in Glendale in L.A. She had been driving up the PCH and she comes in and she goes, I want to write a song called My Church. And I was thinking, oh, that's cool. What's that about? She said, when I drive in the car and I'm listening to music I, I love, I feel like I'm connected to God. It feels like church to me. And if I remember correctly, I literally just picked up a guitar and was like, can I get a hallelujah? Because that's a that's a phrase, you know? Can I get an amen? And she just starts singing the rest of the chorus, and we worked on it a bit, and then she writes the verses while I'm working on a track. And I think an hour and a half later, we would finished it, and she that's sang quick. That's vocal. super vocal. She sang a vocal in 30 minutes, and it was just... And because another beauty of it is like... And I like all sides of it, man. It's not that I only like... St- staying under the radar and stay away from our creative process I, I enjoy also when it's pressurizing it's, it's a new challenge right but that was so under the radar there was no label deal in place there was no specific expectation outside of us other than those who knew it was going on we wanted it to be great her thing you know but there was no like has to sell this many or has to do this it was just we're doing what we think is her and what's going to resonate you know
0: talk about Marin. let's talk about Carly for a
1: second every
0: thing did you wrote this with her yeah. same kind of thing you wrote it then you produced it yeah.
1: Yeah, this song is, is special for a lot of reasons to me we wrote this with Emily Shackleton who's an amazing songwriter I mean this is if I'm not mistaken her first ten, top ten as well as Carly's and you know Daniel my pu- my publisher Daniel Lee who's brilliant he brought her to me because we made a conscious decision to invest in developing an artist. After the Marin thing happened, it was like, "Wow, I loved that process." I hadn't done much artist development in that capacity, or I hate to say it about Marin like that. It was, she is an artist, but I was involved early on. That's all I'm saying. With Carly, it didn't come off. In, in, okay, in, yeah, I would. With yeah. Carly, it was it was um, you know she had so many things in place, but there was you Know the music wasn't quite right yet, you know, and she knew that she came to us going, This is what I want to be doing, this is what I have, and we play, she played it for us. And I was like, Well, there's a discrepancy here, let's figure out how we can figure that out. But she had also at the time, um, and man, it's 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 it sounds like I'm gushing, I'm not trying to gush. You have been so helpful too with female artists, man, like that is, and that's near and dear to my heart because. I love all kinds of artists, but I love amazing singers. And historically, a lot of the amazing singers are females. Not that there's not great male singers, but like you think of all the way back, Ella Fitzgerald, uh, Billie Holiday, Whitney, you know, like, I mean, go on and on and on. There's, you know, those types of voice type singers, you know, big voices. Um, And Carly, everyone had said no, basically. She'd been here since she was 18, busting her ass, like not sitting on her butt, kind of going Kind of working and kind of hoping it's going to happen, and who's going to when is you know only if only Bobby could play my independent song and I'll become there was none of that it was literally like busting her ass doing the thing, and that more than anything is what drew Daniel and myself to her is the work ethic you know and that because that's that's really what separates the men from the boys you and know, I were talking earlier about our schedules it's insane you know that man we have to work crazy pants to, to do this thing, um, but it, for her the key was really unlocking the mu- the music. And that song was a song that we had written where it was like, I remember her coming over and Emily was coming over and I was like, we don't have any ballads, which is never the case. Right. Right, It's usually the opposite. I want up tempos. And I was like, and, and quite frankly, we were inspired by the fact that Cam was working and that beautiful. And I was like, of course it's working. You have a great voice. You have an amazing, haunting, beautiful song. Why would it not work? Conceptually, I know it's not that easy, but it was like, all right, let's try to do that, that descriptor, a haunting, beautiful, amazing song ballad with an amazing voice and that song is the song that came out that day and it just I mean anybody who's worked hard and has success deserves it but that girl that girl deserves it man it's yeah. been amazing to be a part of that story and Emily too I mean it's like oh, that stuff it just I remember having my first hit that was amazing I was driving up to to introduce my then fiance, girlfriend to, shortly to become my fiance to my parents now she's my wife and on the way up Daryl called and said hey rascal flats is summer nights the next single and i was like oh man and that was one of the best feelings as career wise you know but better than that bro and you probably know this seeing someone you care about or involved in invest in them having a hit that's just like oh So anyways that uh. this
0: is your first first hit period
1: yeah first single what's a hit to you well, ra- let's say Radiohead. Okay, you know, it was, and it was the first first radio single I had in a commercial sense. I had other songs that were released to independent radio or or that kind of thing, but the first like you know commercial record label going to any sort of, sort of proper commercial radio.
0: People in those city you know, can be like, "Hey, I heard your song." First time that ever happened. Totally. Like, from Pittsburgh, call you and be like, <laughs> "Yeah,
1: hey." It's funny. I always think of that song. People talk about. the the eagle cooler you know that line it's he's saying igloo cooler but it sounds like eagle cooler to some oh, he's people a lot, cooler. a lot of people are like what's an eagle cooler i'm like what are you talking about we wrote that on gary's back porch with brett james that was a fun day
0: at lavox's house
1: yeah yeah gary's funny huh oh he is one of the funniest people <laughs> ever
0: yeah he, i would see him we used to live about four houses down from each other before i moved and he would go work out in full camouflage like long sleeve Pants <laughs> he, would go wait. he would go work and, I would, yeah. and the first time I was I, And I've told This part of the story I, I, There was some guy On an exercise bike that kept waving at me In full yeah. camo And I was like Who's working out In full camo? And it was Gary right? It's amazing and, 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 But then I would see him There again Working out in full camo Yeah, And I'd be like What are you doing He's like ah, These are just the clothes That were laying around So I put Come them on. on And now it's like He disappeared Like when they're not working Oh dude Gary disappears into the woods And it's like Good luck finding him Totally
1: man he actually, yeah, he he is he's a big hunter. <laughs> <laughs> he's a he's a trip. Yeah, he's a, he's a really good guy, man. They, I gotta say, they they were the first artists in town to really believe and invest in me. Like um, Jodan uh, had heard some stuff I had written and and sung the demos to back then. I was singing a lot of my own songs demos because uh, Dan had played him a song or whatever, however that worked. And so he reached out to ride with me, and then Jay, and then Gary, and. Written with every combination of them, and my first song, my first cut was with them. Commercial cut, it was a song called "Better Now" that I wrote with Greg Becker and Daryl Brown. And then my first single was with them. Literally, I mean, sort of happenstantially in that regard. But they—they've been amazing to me, man. They're just—we
0: talk about singers, and I know you produced this song here. You like a line, but my oh. With yeah. and I did. That. I was on the radio. I was talking over the last couple of weeks. And I just like to make lists. And yeah. I like lists to be controversial sometimes. So I have a Different <laughs> opinions. You know, I like to hear people talking. Yeah, that's the whole point of it. But I did this whole list of underrated artists. Yeah. It, it, listen, it's subjective, completely subjective. I, I can do it. I,
1: I think I just saw this today. Man, I can put amazing. on there whoever
0: I want. You know, it, yeah. and it's my opinion. It does. It's not right, yeah. but it's my right. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: But I put Lauren on there because when she's listen, there are in the land of fantastic singers. Oh, dude. Then there's Lauren Elena, and there's yeah. that other. 1% of the 1%. Yeah. And she's in that. And so you're producing... The, and I didn't know it until I saw it with my I, own eyeballs.
1: Yeah, no, she's... I was with Keith the other day, and he's a car guy. And he, you know, we were talking about a Bugatti that some friend of his had or whatever. And it's like, she's that of voices. Like, she is the, the, the elite race car of voices. You know, it's like...
0: And there are a lot of awesome race cars that cost a lot of money. But yep. then there's that.
1: Yeah. This particular Bugatti, I think, sold for like 8 million pounds. It was so rare. But she... Yeah, she has so few limits to what she could do vocally it's insane, like it is literally insane that was an interesting part of our process you know, of course, when you're making a record, as an aside you, it's like being in camp you know, like you go to camp you all become this family for a period of time and then someone blows the whistle and goes camp's over, and you're like, crap man we have to go home, and then you miss each other and then, you're like, what happened? we had so much fun at camp, you know but anyways, when we were making that record with her um, she'd come out to LA to record some vocals and you know again to, to, to keep the analogy going it was like I'd taken the Bugatti out to the track and the engine was sputtering and I'm like what the heck is going on this is a finely tuned machine and she was having vocal challenges and what ultimately wound up being she had a vocal surgery which understandably she was super freaked out about that because that's like that's not only her livelihood but it's her passion Like, yeah. and you know she that's who she is And I, you know, I couldn't guarantee her of anything. I'm not a doctor, but I was like, I've had multiple friends go through that. I I bet you anything, it'll actually be better on the backside, not just back to where you were, but even better. And it ended up being, yeah. And she's got more control even, and more, and how do you improve on what she had? But it's crazy, man. Her, Her naturally born, and obviously she's worked on it too, but naturally gifted ability is just like, ugh out of control
0: she would send me pi- the throat inside the throat looks like a vagina <laughs> yeah. and she would send me pictures of her throat yeah exactly and I would for a second I was, like, and I knew she wasn't sending me pictures of her vagina yeah, but exactly. it looked. <laughs> whenever someone sends you that picture yeah. and you, you, I haven't even seen that many vaginas in my you, life I'll be honest with you and you're like whoa <laughs> yeah. it's your throat and exactly. she was yeah. like I've, I've gained she's like I'm able yeah. to sing places now that I wasn't able to sing and she already these kids and she's she was definitely a kid when she went yeah. on a like, talent show Wait, to go on these talent shows, and, oh, and you can write people off and go, ah, a talent show, culture, yeah. you have to be able to sing to go on these live talent shows yeah. and be successful. Totally. And so it's like when the Daniel Bradbury's, the Lauren Elena's, yeah. and we Kelly Pickler, Kelly yeah. Pickler would blow the roof off the place totally. singing. And so Lauren is that, and then plus.
1: Yeah. No, she, and it was, the amazing part of, about working with her is that there was so, I don't think there was anything I could ask her to sing that she couldn't do. That's and Mary would probably say the same thing in the sense of like I'm always telling them there's things they can do that they don't think they can do not because I'm trying to be silly because I feel like I understand how far they can go and try to push that in a sense usually hitting a particular note or whatever but then some of the trick too is learning how to go because I mean Lauren's Lauren could do anything like vocally so she'll be like she'll be listening back to her takes and like Singing riffs over the top of them that she could, and so it's almost like also knowing like when to to do to restrain yourself because just because you can go 180 miles an hour doesn't mean that's what you should do on I 65. You know if you're going to drive your Bugatti down to the road, you know what I mean. So it's as a producer, that's part of the trick is being not the governor like it's my call, but like helping her know where those parameters should be, you know, and really gunning it so to speak at those right times. Can
0: Keith take you out in the Batmobile? Can you guys go drive. He let you drive it.
1: You know it's it's kind of embarrassing. I can't fit in that thing. That he has that Bugatti. If you're talking about the Bugatti, yeah. yeah, it is. It's it's like tiny. I'm six foot four, 250 pounds. Like I'm a big dude, man. Did you try to get in it? Literally. <laughs> I mean, when I say I can't fit in it, I can fit in right. it, but I, mean, I couldn't you know, drive it. Not
0: comfortably to, to drive it. In no. It can, right.
1: It, he would have probably let me. He's the best, man. Like it's just. Uh.
0: What's the goal? Like now, what's the goal?
1: to stay married to the same woman and be a good husband and father. Truly. That's it. Like all this other stuff I'm grateful for and I I get, I obsess over it. I love what we do. It's not that it's not important. It's stupidly important. But if, if you're going to ask me that, I think as big picture as I can and that's what I come up with. Like I want, I want to be there at 70 when, you know, Bobby Bones isn't calling me going, hey, be on my podcast because I'm 70 and no one cares who I am with that woman with those kids thriving you know and um, hopefully living a life where people go that dude impacted me he cared you know because it's like all this other stuff is amazing man I get I get to produce I get to write songs and people pay me to write songs and produce records it's incredible it's what I was made to do I'm so grateful but it's not even just a conversation of like how quick does a song go off the radio like who who was the Grammy award-winning song of 1989 it would take me hours of asking people without googling it. No one would know. In 1989, though, it was the biggest thing, and it was huge and impactful, and it mattered to everybody. I'm not saying it's no longer important, but what's important in that regard comes and goes. I'm
0: curious now. Let's see if we can figure. It. Let's let's just take a guess. Might <laughs> Google it. What the Grammy Award winning song? I might have my
1: ears off, but I do know what I think the song okay, is. Okay, hold on. Yeah. Let, let me yeah, let, l- let, let me see what I can saying. do.
0: Then 1989. Yep. Now I got to
1: think of where. Do you have it?
0: I would go to where the is this something that I could that I know? <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. So eighty. Can you show me? I want to make sure. It's oh no, no! I want you. I want you, to, you, you. I've go. I've looked before. Okay. Yeah,
1: I'll wait for you. Yeah. I want to work backward. Yeah. <laughs> There's a kiss from a rose. That's not early '90s. That's like right? yeah. That's yeah. like
0: '94. I would guess that's like '94, '95 ish. Yeah.
1: Three maybe. Yeah.
0: Okay. '89 was pre. I'm gonna go with the bodyguard. That's still no, that's early. '90s. Yeah, that, that's early.
1: Yeah, it is. It's tricky. '89, and, and you know what's other tricky? What's also tricky about that time is the songs that we tend to remember are like the the rockish leaning ones that weren't the typically the Grammy award winning songs of the year. This song, it's the one I'm thinking. It was a huge song. But <laughs> is it?
0: It's, I'll give you one. It sounds like it should have come out before '89.
1: Nah, I don't even know what
0: is it. What, what do you think it is?
1: If it's the right one, it's "Wings Beneath My Wings," but I might have the wrong year. No. What, what is, is it? it?
0: Don't worry, be happy.
1: Oh, there you what? go. <laughs> That's a bad example. The example I had was because we do still love and Wait, care about that, that, that song. But it's like you know what? The, the point remains. I wouldn't remember though. The <laughs> the the stuff that I mean that is just preeminently important in our work comes and goes. And I don't mean that flippantly, man. It's not like nothing matters because right. you can go you can go all lamentations on it, which truly in the grand scheme of things, what is anything, you know. But it, it's not actually just the work that matters, you know. It's the relationships, it's the the heart, you know, and that's something that it's it's tricky to remember that stuff. I struggle with that because it's if if like you did ask me that's what's really the most important to me, but sometimes my life only reflects the business part of it, you know, as opposed to the relational part, not that the relationships don't matter, but like prioritizing, taking the moment and going like, how are you doing, man? Like, what's really going on? Like, are you, are you good? Like, is everything cool? Do you need to talk? I'm here, you know? Because that stuff matters, man. That really does. And it's not, again, that's the stuff that happens behind closed doors and secret. You're never applauded for, you know? But those are the things that echo, echo heaven, so to speak, you know? That's, that's the stuff that matters.
0: Who do you go to when it's you're like ah I'm stuck or I'm in trouble with and not it's the law but like yeah. creatively I'm in trouble like I don't I don't really know who's your who's your guy who's your girl?
1: Um, I mean I talk to my wife about that stuff I talk to my publisher, my pastor, my best friends. You know I'm just all of it's one big conversation, truly and and several other several other writer friends. You know, um, it, the the thing I've learned or been learning is. Whatever I struggle, typically, it's not unique to me. Just because we don't talk about it in normal conversation doesn't mean other people aren't going through the same things. Yeah,
0: you say that. So I wrote this book, right? I I wrote a book and it did well. It was a bestseller for a while. But I was really nervous at putting it out because I felt very alone in my story. Totally. Because I grew up a kid and I didn't have a dad and my mom was a drug addict and she died in her 40s. and And we went through some very tough times. And I thought, I'm going to tell the story. And I'm, I, f- I felt very alone my entire life. felt very, like nobody knew what I had been through. And it created this humongous chip on my shoulder. Mm. Because nobody knew what I had been through. I put this book out. And first of all, I was like, man, nobody's going to Do you? I will go do shows, stand-up shows. People will come up to me and go, you told this story? I have the same story. Totally. And it blows my mind. I spent my whole life totally. thinking I was alone. Yep. And then when I put this out, and people if people would consume it the amount of people that come and go hey you're not alone like I was like that what you said there is what i experience now 100%. with something like, and even the the radio show where i talk and i'm vulnerable and i say things and i think ah no one
1: no yep. same thing and it, and what you said there is the other part of it even if like your exact story is not my story but when you throw the vulnerable card on the table it creates an environment where oh i can be vulnerable you know, and I'm learning that myself. Like, so often we have to lead. We have to go. No one's being vulnerable, but I'm feeling whatever. I'm gonna just say it. Hey, are you guys struggling? Do you think that you're never gonna have a hit song again, or that everyone thinks what you do is a joke, or whatever it is? You know, and everyone starts to go, "Wait, you're you feel that too? I feel it." And we start, you able to talk about those things and just sort of like, um, put the pen in a little bit, so to speak. Because you know, we're all creatives, and as such, our brains are a little like extra wonky. And it, com- it comes with the tax, the emotional tax, right, of having to deal with some of these extra insecurities and extra fears. I mean we all have insecurities and fears, but it just seems somewhat heightened with creatives.
0: How do say to be different, you really have to be different? Yeah. Meaning if you want to be different than the rest, you don't just go and be different and then you're the same the rest of you. Like, totally. Like I'm a weird human, but that weirdness allows me to do different types of things and where I can flourish in certain areas, I really struggle in others. Totally. But that's what makes me different. Like for me to be different, I am different.
1: And something that's tricky about that, or let me just speak for myself, it's been tricky because being this dude who's like, I was a jazz drumroll player and I write pop songs and country songs and produce and publish and business and music and all together. It's like there's not – it's not like you can just go, oh, I'm going to build a career just like this person, which you can't do that to begin with. But when you're sort of doing you, the path isn't laid out. And it's, so, it's scary it really is because everything in me constantly wants to go like, who can I look to who's done the thing? And I definitely have mentors and people I admire like Dan and other people like that who I can call and have these real types of conversations with. And But Dan Huff's career is totally different than the career I'm working on and where that's headed. And even if I try to replicate his career, it's not possible. You know, his is unique to him and Mutt Lang's is unique to him and Quincy's to him and Da da, da da da. It's everybody. You know, I'm not saying I'm in that I'm but my, what you can't hear on the podcast my hand is going up because those are the, the <laughs> I never super... saw his hand move. I thought his hand go down actually as he was doing it. The levels was, like, of super down. producers, yes. you know, that you look up to and like those you, you just have you do you, you know. 'Cause I, this is the other way I try to look at it. It's the cheesiest thing to say, but like I'm the best Busby that's ever existed. I'm a horrible Bobby Bones. You're the best Bobby Bones that's ever existed. You'd be a horrible me and vice versa, Mike. Like it's you gotta be you. You know, and we need that everyone I need you to be you you need me to be me I need you to be you I appreciate the conversation man you're way
0: smarter than I am sometimes you sit beside somebody I was hoping you were going to say way
1: smarter than I thought I was going to I was going to hug you no yeah, it's just like you
0: sit with people and there are times where I talk and there are times where I shut up because I feel like I can learn this is definitely one of those times I just shut up and just oh, just, just took some notes. Like I, I really appreciate the time. I know you're a busy dude. Likewise, man. I thanks know for you got it. so I, I appreciate you stopping by and shedding the knowledge. Like All I right. felt like I just went to a master <laughs> like I paid hundred bucks for a Steve Martin master class. I love Steve Martin. <laughs> yeah, he's the best. Creatively and in so many forms. From sure. me. It, it, he was selling out stadiums doing stand up when it just didn't make sense to you because you couldn't see him totally, it, it, and you couldn't hear him. You were just yelling through a PA. Yeah, <laughs>
1: uh,
0: literally. I, I mean, yes, literally. So, you know, I, I bought the masterclass and I enjoyed it, but I paid hundred bucks for it, right? Yeah. I, I love Steve Martin, but I feel like I just got a free uh, Busby masterclass <laughs> you know. here.
1: Right. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming in. What
0: episode is this, Mike? Eighty-four. Eighty-four. Uh, that's Busby, or as I call him, Mike. <laughs> does anybody call you Mike what's your wife D- call D- Dan
1: you? Huff insists on trying to call me Mike or Michael and he's trying to make okay, as many people wow. call me That's that, that so, cool. so Keith's been calling me Michael and yeah. anyone Dan can influence to call me Michael <laughs> <laughs> he thinks it bothers me it doesn't but thanks Dan yeah. right,
0: well, uh, thanks everybody uh, thanks for Thank you, man, it alright right. hey, bye everybody